Welcome. We're glad you're here. We're doing this Hosea thing. Uh, it's a, like the second best love story in the Bible, I think. Uh, it's Hosea and Gomer. Don't let that throw you. Gomer's a chick. It's, it's, it's not, you know, it, it's, a, it's a weird story. But, you know, I mean, I just, you've got to understand, it's the second greatest love story in the Bible. I think the greatest is obviously Jesus and his resurrection. But the second one is Hosea and Gomer. And that's why we've been studying it for a couple of weeks. Crazy message. Let me ask you a question. If you heard from God, what do you think you'd hear? All right, let me, let, let's, just, let's just say that, I mean, it's never happened to me. I've never audibly heard the voice of God. But let's just say the voice of God, you know, shows up somehow in your life and tells you something. And he says, let's just do a test. Take care of the poor. Would you think, oh, that might be God. Yeah. He says, I want you to pray. Might be God, right? I want you to marry a prostitute. Oh, I mean, you know, yeah, I would not be thinking that was God, would you? I'd be thinking my wife put some funky mushrooms in the pasta last night and something's not right here. But that's the message that the word of the Lord came to Hosea, son of Beery. The Lord said to him, go marry a prostitute and have children with her, okay? Why would God do this? Kind of crazy. Not a fun way to start a relationship, right? I mean, we want to start a relationship by having a Disney movie. We want to have a, a romance. We want to figure out you know, the right person and we want to fall in love. I like being in America, you know, no offense if you're watching on the internet somewhere else, but we don't do arranged marriages, you know, we get to pick our own person and we want to fall in love. That's how you want it to be. And I'm thinking Hosea didn't wake up from his vision from God and go, oh man, I hit the jackpot, right? I get to marry a prostitute. It, that, do you want that kind of a relationship? Women all over the country are spreading that, you know, YouTube video around because that's what you want from your husband. Okay, why would God ask Hosea? his prophet to marry a prostitute. Why would he do that? Because the next verse says, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So Hosea, the prophet, got to be an illustration of God and his wife, the prostitute, was an illustration of the unfaithful wife that was being unfaithful to God. Alright, you understand that? Now, from all outward appearances, it appears that they're doing all the right things. I mean, these, these are the children of Israel. They're going to church every week. They're worshiping God. They're putting a little bit in the offering. You know, they're, they're doing all the right things and saying all the right things. The problem is not that they weren't doing that. The problem is that they were, they were diversifying. They were doing other things. And they were, there were two major things that they were doing that God was mad about. Number one, and this was quite an indictment. Number one, they were not taking care of the poor. And God has always, from the very beginning, said it is imperative for my people to take care of the poor. And number two, they were worshiping false gods. They were worshiping idols. So they were, you know, from investment purposes, they were diversifying their portfolio. You know what I'm saying? You know, I mean, you, you got, you, your retirement person's going to say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, don't buy all of one stock. You've got to diversify. And what they were doing is they were saying, you know what, we're not going to make sure, we're not going to just worship this one God. We're going to worship all the gods just in case. And the problem with worshiping the idols is obviously God had told them, number one, you'll have no other gods. Number two, you should not bow down to idols. Those are the first two commandments, okay? The other problem is that the worship of idolatry, and I've never, as I've looked back on the children of Israel, I've never been able to really figure out if they worshiped idols because they really believed that those wooden statues were going to help them, or if they just liked the party that was going on at the temple of the idol. Because there were a lot of sexual perversions and a lot of crazy things and a big party going on at the temple for the idol. So I don't know which one was which, but one way or another, God is saying, you are being unfaithful. 
You're not being true to me. And that's just the beginning of the weirdness of this story. You would think that if God asked a prophet to marry a prostitute, she would be rescued and she would realize that she's been rescued and she would want to go from being Gomer the prostitute to Mrs. Hosea the prophet. And she would love that. You would think that. You would think that this would be the Christian version of pretty women, you know, and Julia Roberts would would ride off into the sunset with Richard Gere and they would have this wonderful relationship for the rest of their life. But that's not what happens. God even tells him ahead of time, he says, listen, you're, you're going to marry this woman, but she's not going to be faithful to you. She's going to keep turning tricks. She's going to keep selling herself for money, and she's going to keep cheating on you, and this is the way it is. And then he says to Hosea, and no matter what, here's what you need to do. You need to chase her down, and you need to always love her. No matter how many times she leaves you, how many nights she's gone, how many other men that, that she slept with, it doesn't matter. You've got to keep loving her and keep pursuing her and don't let her go because I don't care how bad things are. I want my people to know that it doesn't matter to me how far away they go. I'm always going to love them. So no matter what, keep pursuing her because I'm going to always pursue my people. I'll let that sink in for a minute because I know that a lot of you come from, you know, far away from God and you've, or you've come from a, a time away from God and you don't think that you deserve for God to pursue you. That's why I love the story of Hosea so much because none of us deserves to have God stalking us, but that's exactly what he does. My friend Judd Wilhite out in Vegas wrote this book called Pursue. That's where we're kind of getting this whole thing from is to understand the idea that God is going to pursue you and he calls it a relentless pursuit. That's what it is. It's a relentless pursuit that God does for us. I heard about this ugly dog competition. Have you seen this anywhere, the ugly dog competition? All right. Um, this, is, this is Yoda. Ugly. He is? Yes, this is Yoda. This is the ugly dog competition. Looks like an albino bat with a bad toupee, right? I mean, th this is one year's winner. Here's another one. This is Elwood. Yeah. Don't let him eat after midnight, right? He looks like a gremlin with a mohawk. I mean, his tongue, you can't get that tongue back in that mouth. I'm telling you right now, they should call him MJ. Here's another one. Munchkin. Gotta love Munchkin. Listen, that's his real hair, okay? That's, that's his real hair. And you know this dog is so fat that he snorts when he walks while he's at it. And, and you should imagine, you know, what this dog is like to have in your house. Uh, my favorite, this year's winner, Miss Ellie. That's a Chinese crested dog. That's the way they look. They're bred to look that way. That's not a skin disease. That's the way they look. Now, here's the thing. The people in the ugly dog contest are not making fun of ugly dogs. As a matter of fact, they love their ugly dogs. Their mission statement is this, to raise awareness for rescue pups by celebrating ugliness, buck teeth, asymmetry, and general decrepitude. <laughs> I love that. You know why? Because I think that when we look at ourselves, what we see is an ugly dog a lot of times. Because we can, we can put makeup on and we can dress up the outside of us, but we know what's on the inside. And if, when we know that people, when, if they knew the inside, they would see what was going on. And maybe we've got people in our, in our lives that have already told us that they don't like this or they don't like that or they, you know, they think we're ugly or they don't like our buck teeth or our asymmetry or our general decrepitude. And we've had people tell us that in our minds and in our lives over and over and over again. What you need to know is that God loves you in spite of all that. And our Heavenly Father, He 
always loves us and he always will love us and not just the outside he loves the inside and you could lose the ugliest human contest if you want to it doesn't matter because God is always going to love you now I found that women tend to struggle with this more than men I think understanding that God really loves them and we have a women's Bible study getting ready to start I just want to let you know about that ladies strength made perfect in weakness it's a it's a, a fall ladies Bible study and they're going to be talking about how much God believes in you and how much God loves you uh, so we've got a couple of intro times September 18th in the morning September 19th in the evening at Orland over at Lockport at September 23rd you can see in your bulletin uh, I, I would encourage you to get involved in our ladies Bible study that God loves your inner dog. Matter of fact, the word here in Hosea, where in Hosea 3, when God says, I want you to love your wife, when he says, I want you to go back and chase her and get her out of the brothel and bring her back again, he uses the word loyal love. It's the Hebrew word chesed. Okay, you have to spit while you're saying it, so go ahead and do it. Get the person in front of you. Say it with me. Chesed. 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 That's what it is. It's the word that means a covenant love. And if that sounds familiar... Some of you were around two or three years ago. We talked about marriage and how marriage was going to be a covenant love. We even had little tattoos, rub-on tattoos that people, that people put on. This is what the Hebrew word looks like, and it means a covenant love. It, it means that I'm going to love you no matter what. And we talked in the marriage series about how you should put this rub-on tattoo on and you should make this covenant to your wife or to your husband, and it's based on you, not them. That's what covenant love is all about. It's based on you, not them. It's not based on, if you do this, then I'll do that. It's based on, I'm committed to loving you no matter what. That's why we say, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, sickness and health, till death do us part. That's what a covenant love is. And that's the love that he tells Hosea to have for his unfaithful prostitute wife when he goes back to get her. It's chesed, okay? Now, the covenant thing is fascinating because uh, it starts with Abraham. Back in that day, they had different traditions. And I know you don't always understand them. Animal sacrifice was a big part of them. And one of the things that they would do in, in, in a covenant situation, like if I was going to buy a piece of property off of you, I, I, what we would do is instead of shaking hands or going to the lawyers to draw up a contract, what we would do is we would take an animal and we would kill it and we would cut it in half. And we would like place the two halves apart like this and we would walk through the two halves of the animal. Both people that are entering into the covenant would walk through both halves of the animal. Which was a way of saying, may God do that to me, cut me in half, if I break my oath. Okay? I know it's different. You know, I don't know why it hasn't taken off to replace the unity candle in our wedding ceremonies today. Seems like it'd be a really cool thing. I'm hoping Becca maybe does it because I've still got one to go. But that's what they would do, okay? That's what they would do. They would, they would do this. And so Abraham has a vision one night from God, and God appears to him in this vision, and God takes an animal, and he kills it, and he, and he cuts it in half, and he separates the two halves. And as Abraham is having this vision, God walks through the two animals. And then the vision's over. Abraham didn't walk through it. What God was saying was, I'm the one who's making a covenant with you. And I would love for you to live in the, in the, in the beauty of my love and the beauty of my covenant, but it doesn't really matter. Because as unfaithful as you possibly will ever be, you, Abraham, and your children, the people that Hosea is talking to, are always going to be my people. And in the New Testament, that is us. That is the believers. That is the church. 
you are always going to be my people. So no matter what your parents said about you, no matter what your neighbors say about you, no matter what the voice in your head says about you, God loves you with a loyal chesed love. And it's not based on you. All right? But today we have to switch metaphors. It's the only thing I can do. I mean, the marriage thing is good. God talks about being married to us a lot in the Bible. Jesus, uh, you know, in, in the New Testament, in Revelation, there's a lot of marriage language. But there's also a lot of father language in the Bible. And we've got to switch metaphors because as much as he loves his bride, there's something else that we have to talk about today as we get into farther into Hosea, and that is God's discipline. And I don't know about you, but I have not ever found disciplining my spouse to produce favorable results. <laughs> you know, honey, this turkey bacon's not very good. You better go sit in the do-better chair. I mean, that's just not going to work, okay? <laughs> However, we understand that God used the metaphor of a father for us, I think, especially in that culture, because the father was the person who was in charge, was in control, back in that culture especially, and was often the one who was the person who was going to be the disciplinarian. So let me ask you, have you ever been in a grocery store, have you ever been in a store, Walmart, wherever, and, and there was a kid running around like crazy, and, and, and like it's recess at the funny farm, and this kid is just, you know, causing commotion everywhere, right? And you're like, man, I feel sorry for that kid's parents because they need to give that kid some discipline, and I feel sorry for that kid because when he grows up, he's going to have problems if nobody ever teaches him how to live. Have you ever, have you ever been in that situation? Was it ever your kid? I mean, I, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, you, sometimes you just that way. You're like, whose kid is that? Man, I ought to take care of him, right? I, I get that, okay? okay I, I, here, here's what I'm saying. Let me, ask you, let me ask you about discipline for a little bit. How did your parents discipline you? Just a quick survey, raise your hand. Timeouts, grounding, how many of you, your parents did that? Okay. Uh, take away privileges, how many of your parents did that? Yell at you, scold you, how many of your parents, yeah, okay. I'm not sure that's good, right? Um, how many of your parents didn't discipline you? Okay, I mean, I mean, that, I, I could, I could joke about that, but really, I had a conversation last night with somebody who said I grew up with a dad who didn't discipline me, and I knew in my heart that I wished he did. I mean, that's sad, isn't it? Okay, here's one more. How many got spanked? Come on, let's just go. All right, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> how many of you know what I'm talking about? The sound of the belt coming out of the pants. Whack, 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 whack. Is that the worst sound in the world, right? Oh, man, I pushed it too far. Whack, 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 whack. I like to say my dad was patriotic. He gave me stripes until I saw stars, and that's probably good. I would say that my parents were good about it. I mean, I really would. They spanked me when I was younger. They withheld privileges later on, but I knew that I needed discipline. The Bible tells us that a child needs discipline. The Bible says whoever spares the rod hates their child, their children. But the one who loves their children is, di or different, is, is, is careful to discipline them. Discipline is important to them. I need to say this right up front, okay? There's a difference between disciplining a child and being mad at your child. Sometimes your child is just dadgum irritating, okay? And that's all there is to it. That's not what I'm talking about. God is not mad at the children of Israel for breaking commandments 1 and 2. He knows where they're headed, and He knows what's good for them. So this is why if you've been reading ahead in Hosea and you got to Hosea chapter 6, you were a little weirded out. Because here's how the verse reads. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but He will heal us. He has injured us, but He will bind up our wounds. 
How many of you would say, Hosea 6.1 is my life verse? Yeah, I didn't think so, right? It's not on a refrigerator magnet, uh, you know, waiting there, unless your daughter's boyfriend's coming over and you don't like him, right? I mean, God's injuring us. He's tearing us to pieces. I mean, how does this all play out? That doesn't make any sense to me. How am I supposed to read that? Well, you're supposed to read that like this. God is a good parent, and he's going to discipline us. And as children, sometimes when our parents disciplined us, we just really didn't understand. We didn't understand that there were some painful, unpleasant circumstances that needed to happen in order for us to turn out to be the people that we were supposed to be. I keep thinking of that scene from the movie Christmas Story, one of my favorites, you know, where he, he, he's, he's supposed to eat soap and he, he thinks his parents are so mean and he has this little vision, right, that he goes blind because of soap poisoning, right? Remember that scene? Because that's how a kid is. You're injuring me. You're hurting me. You're tearing me to pieces. You you need to read this in the context of Hosea uh, all the way through because in Hosea 11, God says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. I called my son out of Egypt, and I myself taught Israel how to walk. Hang on to that. Leading him along by the hand. I led Israel along with ropes of kindness and love. Sometimes you've got to put that little strap on so they don't wander off. Okay, that's what we're talking about. And I lifted the yoke from his neck. What is that? He was, he was yoked to the other oxen that was taking him the wrong direction, and it was heavy. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And I myself, God said, stooped down to feed him, okay? That's the image of God that you should have. And as a child, yeah, you're going to look back and you're going to think, you're being mean to me if you're two years old and your parents says you can't go there. But really, what we know is that we, as parents, have to discipline our kids if we love them. And sometimes God's going to do that with us if he loves us. My youngest, I mean, I have three daughters, in case you don't know, and the youngest is going to be 21 in three weeks. They're all grown. Two of them are married. But I remember distinctively teaching them to walk. Do you remember what it was like teaching your kids to walk? Those of you who have kids that are old enough, their, their little heads are bigger than their bodies, you know, and they're, and they're like little, little Frankensteins walking, you know, and you put them down and, they're, and, they're, and they take two steps and you're like, yay, good job, because you're excited to teach them to walk. But teaching your child to walk, that's why I love this. I taught Israel how to walk, God said. It's not always fun, is it? Because when they're little and you're teaching them to walk, sometimes they want to wander off. And if you're in a store or by a busy street, sometimes you've got to hold on to them. And sometimes, I don't know if this ever happened to you, sometimes they don't want you to hold on to them. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes they wanted to go their own way. They wanted to do their own thing. They wanted to be independent. And so you're grabbing their arm and finally they just stop walking and you're dragging them, right? And you're just dragging them along. And at some point, you have to decide you're going to set their butt in a stroller and strap them down because you know what's good for them and they're going to arch their back and they're going to scream and they're going to cry because they don't like it but you as the parent know that this is what has to happen they want to go where they go where they want to go and as a parent you have to make sure that that doesn't always happen Hosea is trying to help us to see that all good parents do this thing called discipline. And discipline is almost always painful to the child. God talks about this in the New Testament. Uh, We don't like this verse a whole lot, but here's what the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament says. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. 
No discipline seems pleasant at the time. It seems painful. It seems like you're injuring me, like you're tearing me apart. That's what it feels like to me. But God, who relentlessly pursues you, is going to love you enough that he's going to try to keep you from making choices that are harmful to you. And it's possible that some of the painful and scary things that go on in your life from time to time are God saying, I'm going to hold on to your hand right now, and you may not like it, but I'm not going to let you wander off into the street. And you might be thinking, well, what's the injuring part about? What's all that? I believe that's the, that's the child's idea. You know, when, you know, we laugh about our dad spanking us with belts, and you know, we probably don't do that anymore because it doesn't seem like that's kosher with the way the world is, is looking these days. But when I look back on it, I felt like my dad was beating me with a belt. And some of you got abused by your parents, and I'm not making light of that at all. But what I didn't, I didn't like it at the time, but I knew that it was a good thing for me later on. And I know that I needed it. I needed discipline one way or the other, whether that was right or not. That's what God is saying. God is the good shepherd. God is the parent. He is going to, I mean, you remember the shepherd? This is a shepherding culture. They had that, that staff with the hook on the end of it, right? And sometimes the shepherd's got to reach out and he's got to grab the little guy around the neck with a hook and bring him back in or he's going to be wolf food. And it's for his own protection. And he doesn't like it. That's how it works. The Bible says we all, like sheep, have gone astray. And that's another prophet. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, and each of us has turned to our own way. That's what human nature is like. So if God is going to relentlessly pursue us, then what that means for us is that He's going to make sure that we don't go the wrong direction. He's going to make sure that we don't wander off. He's going to make sure that we don't fall down in the street and get run over. Judd had a great story about a, a young man who uh, grew up in the church and... and uh, just didn't just didn't click for him and he didn't didn't want to have anything to do with God so as he got older he rebelled against God and he ended up living even in another country got really involved heavily involved in drugs and partying and drinking and sex and everything that he could possibly do as far from God as he possibly could kind of a prodigal son story and he was, he was doing all this, and every time he'd come home, his parents would say, well, why don't you go to church with us? And he'd say, no, that's not for me, that's for you. I don't need this God thing. And he was in this other country for 10 years, and one day he was playing basketball, and he blew out his knee. I mean, bad. And he you know, went to the hospital, and the hospital said, look, um, you know, our, our health care here in this country is okay, but you're from the U.S. You really ought to go home and have your reconstructive surgery at home, and you're going to be off of this thing for three months, so you better make sure that you're someplace where somebody can take care of you. So he literally had no place to go except back to his parents' house, have surgery there, and have, you know, the, have the rehab right there in his own home. Now, his parents were believers, and they... Um, they had a small group in their home, and, he, and they invited him. You know, they said, hey, we've got these friends coming over, and you really ought to come to this small group. And he was like, no, nope, that's for you. That's not for me. But he was, stand, he was sitting in his window watching people come in, and all of a sudden he saw this really hot girl come in all by herself. Hot girl evangelism, that's what it was. And, and, and he thought to himself, you know, he thought, oh, I'm, I'm digging this. I'm, gonna, I'm going to small group because I'm going to bag this girl. That's what I'm going to do. I, you know, I, I've been with other women who claim to be Christians. This is, this is my project right here. So he came to small group. And over the course of a few weeks, he started to hear about Jesus in a new way that he'd never heard before. And they invited him to church. And he, he started getting involved in things. And he, he said, in, in his own words, he said the words of the prodigal son story is that when he came to his senses, he remembered that his father would love him back home. 
home. And and he said, that's what happened to me. At one point, I came to my senses. I decided that Jesus was for me, and I got baptized, and and I decided to follow Jesus. He said, a week after I got baptized, the girl, the hot girl, just disappeared. She moved away. No forwarding address. As a matter of fact, as we started asking about her, nobody even knew where she'd come from. She was just gone. So this guy who came home to get a reconstructed knee got a reconstructed relationship with Jesus, maybe with the aid of a hot angel. I don't know. That's weird, isn't it? (laughs) But here's what he said. He said, God had to blow out my knee to get me to come back to him. God doesn't mess around. If he has to, he will tear you apart so that he can put you back together again. Those are his words, not mine. I'm going to talk more fully about suffering. We're going to start a series in October called Why. And we're just going to talk about some of the hard questions that people ask. Why God? Why Jesus? Why suffering? Why the Bible? We're going to do that. And when I get to suffering, I'll have a chance to really delve into this. I have to do a little disclaimer on this because I don't want you walking out of here thinking that everything that happens is God's discipline. Okay? Again, I've been talking to people through this. A good friend that I was talking to last night who has MS. And, you know, he's wrestled with it. Is God trying to teach me something? And he's finally realized, no, God's not trying to teach me something. I've got MS. I mean, we just passed the the, the anniversary of 9-11. And there were some errant preachers that were doing a pretty bad job of standing up and saying, this is God's judgment on America. That's a bunch of baloney. It was some crazy people that flew a plane into a building. That's what it was. Okay, don't don't think this. I don't want you to think that if you have a flat tire on the way home that, you know, it's God's discipline on your life. It's probably just that you ignored the low tire pressure warning on your car that you ought to be paying attention to. Right. I mean, God may cause things to happen because he's the good shepherd. But I just want to make sure that you don't think that every bad thing that happens is God's discipline. As I was finishing this message up on Friday, my back was out. It's just been jacked up. I've been too many planes and too many cars and too much sitting. And, you know, I I said, God, is this your discipline? He said, no, it's your 52 year old back, man. That's what it is. That's all it is. Okay? It's like when I talk about Satan and demons. I always have to put the disclaimer in. Don't assume that everything is, the devil made me do it. Okay? That's Flip Wilson? All right, five of you are old enough to know what I'm talking about. It's good. Here's what Jesus said. Here's what Jesus said. In this world, you will have trouble. That's a promise. I'm sorry, that's not one of the promises that you love in the Bible, but in this world, you will have trouble. Just, just a fallen world. Maybe it's just a fallen world. That could be an, that's an explanation. Maybe it's somebody else's choices and freedom of will that have harmed you and put you in this situation. Maybe it's a fallen world situation that God is allowing to happen to teach you a lesson, like the Apostle Paul who had some kind of a health problem. He called it a thorn in the flesh. And he prayed three times for God to take it. And every time God said, you know what? I'm not going to heal you from this because my power needs to be perfected in your weakness. Maybe it's that. Or maybe it is discipline. And I still believe that most of the stuff that happens in our life as discipline from God is not really God causing something to happen. It's usually the result of the choices that we've made that have put us in that situation in the first place. But put all that together, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but the rest of that verse is, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart, no matter what it is, I have overcome the world. All right, that's my disclaimer. So let's go back to the question. Is it possible that God is disciplining you right now? 
Let me just challenge you with that. Because if you do have a flat tire, or if you do get MS, or you do have a bad back, or something happens in your life, it never hurts to start going back to God and saying, God, are you teaching me something? If you're a Christ follower, is it possible that there's a pattern of sin going on in your life? It might have to do with honesty or integrity, or it might have to do with work, or it might have to do with school, or it might have to do with your relationships, or how you talk about people, or how you act around people, or any, I don't know what it might be. I mean, is there this one particular besetting sin in your life that God might be trying to get a hold of you about? This one thing that he's saying, hey, you need to stop doing this because here's where this is going. You're walking out into the street and you're going to get run over. And I'm going to be there to heal you when you get run over. I'm going to take care of you. It's going to be okay. But I'd love to save you from the heartache that's getting ready to happen in your life. If God really pursues us relentlessly, then it's possible that He will allow some pain to happen in our life. As much as He loves our ugly dog, He loves you too much to let you wander out and hurt yourself. If you're not a Christ follower yet, God is going to pursue you relentlessly. I don't know if God blew that guy's knee out or if it just happened and God used it, but God wants you home so bad. And it's not because he's possessive. It's because he knows home is the only good place for you to be. Is it possible that he's chasing you down right now? And maybe you're beginning to see that, you know, that God is going to have to tear some things off to put things back together. I mean, if a parent doesn't discipline their kids, they don't love their kids. That's, that's what we learned, right? If God doesn't discipline us, he doesn't love us. And a parent that cares is not going to let us walk off into the street. Think about that. That's how much God loves you. It's a theme throughout the Bible, and I know it's not easy for us to try to grab a hold of, but, but this is the stuff that happens precisely because God loves you. And please understand one more thing. God's not mad at you. I said that already. He's not mad at you. He doesn't hate you. He's not angry. And he doesn't like it. I mean, when you were getting disciplined as a kid, did your parents ever say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you? I guess they did, right? And you're like, oh yeah, how's it going to hurt you? Are your pants going to fall down when you break your belt over my backside? I don't understand that, right? I didn't understand that as a kid. I'm like, whatever. I think it's hurting me more than it's hurting you. And then you know what happened? I, I became a parent, right? And I understand that the times, I mean, yeah, I got mad at my kids. Yeah, I yelled at my kids. I, 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 yeah, there were times when I, it was just a frustration. But the times when I really did, when we really did good, loving discipline in our kids' lives, it was harder on me than it was harder on them. You just wish they would get it so that you didn't have to, to do this because you don't want to put them through it. And besides, it was hard on you anyway, right? I'm taking away TV for the week. Oh, man, this is going to be a long week, I'm thinking, right? <laughs> I, I mean, what am I going to do with them? They're going to be whiny for a week. I don't want to deal with this. God loves you that much. He doesn't like it, but he loves you enough that he is going to do whatever it takes to make sure that you're okay. Best illustration of this in, in our life was the first ER visit we had as parents. My daughter, who is now 25, um, was two at the time. Only had one. Denise was pregnant with Lauren. And um, so Rachel was two, just maybe two years and three months, I want to say something like that. Not even two and a half. And she fell into a wall. I mean, she was just running and playing. Fell right into the corner of the wall. Hit the wall right in the corner, right in the middle of her forehead. Split that sucker open good. 
was bleeding like crazy. I mean, we had done sore throats, you know, and we'd, you know, we, we'd done enough Dimetap, and we'd done all those other things in sleepless nights, but this was the first time we really had a trauma in our lives as parents. And, and you know, I, I, suffice it to say that the pregnant mom in this situation is not a whole lot of help, okay? There's usually, uh, there's usually one person that has to stand up and be the strong one. It's not always the guy. Sometimes it's the woman. There's usually one person that has to stand up and be the strong one, and the other one's like, you know, flipping out over in the corner. Oh, my gosh, she's going to die. She's going to die, right? So, so I had to be the strong one whether I wanted to or not. We get her to the ER, and the, and the doctor goes, okay, listen, this is a pretty big gash, and she's going to be fine, but I've got to sew it up. I want to stitch it up. I mean, she's still got a little scar up there to this day, but I want to sew it up so there's not a big scar and so that it'll heal properly. And, and that's not going to work unless I give her anesthesia. And the only way I can give her something to deaden that area is to give her a shot into the wound. You know, so he pulls out this, you know, this... <laughs> What to a dad of a two-year-old looked like a needle that, and, a, and a syringe that was this big. And he said, and listen, she's got to be still. So he put Rachel in a straitjacket. I mean, literally, like this little jacket thing that would strap her down to the table. And then she was still in so much pain and still crying. And she's only two. She doesn't understand all this. And she's wiggling around. And he, he looks at me and he says, you're going to have to lay on her and hold her down. How am I going to do that? I've got to lay on my two-year-old and hold her down while this mean, nasty doctor <laughs> sticks a needle this long into her forehead. How am I going to... You know what? I did it. I had to do it because I loved her because I wanted it to be better for her. So I laid down on her and I held her down while she's screaming and yelling and making up two-year-old curse words at me. <laughs> Daddy, why would you do this to me? Why are you putting me through this? Why are you doing this to me? I can't understand it. And all I could do was say, Rachel, it's going to be okay. The doctor is going to take care of you. It's going to be okay. I had two choices. I could try to wake up her mom in the corner or I could go lay down on my daughter. And as a good loving father, I did the right thing even though she didn't understand it. And he gave her the shot and he sewed her up. And then I went and passed out. And, and she's fine to this day. But if I could talk to her in 25-year-old language, I would say, honey, the doctor wants what's best for you. He needs to sew you up. And it's not going to be painful in the long run. It's just going to be painful for a minute. And I wonder if God's not telling you right now, you know what, it may feel heavy like I'm laying on you. Maybe feel heavy like some stuff's going on in your life that you don't like. And it may be because it's a fallen world. It may be because somebody else messed up your life. It may be a whole lot of other things. But if if it's me right now, just know that I'm going to make things come out good out of this. And sometimes I have to, as your loving father, let you go through some pain for a reason. But it's always, always, always a loving reason. I don't know why. I don't know why what's going on in your life is going on in your life. But here's something that I think is really important as we head into communion, and that is that even Jesus on the cross had to cry out, why have you forsaken me? Even Jesus in the garden had to say, you know what? Is this important? Is this necessary? And sometimes only God is the one that understands the answer. Jesus wasn't being disciplined, obviously. Neither was the Apostle Paul. 
but there was a bigger plan that God had. And, and whether God had something in mind for what's going on in your life, or it's a part of the fallen world, or it's just a part of what, what's happened in your life because somebody else did something to you. Here's the verse you need to remember when we talk about these things. We know that in all things, no matter how they got there, when a heart breaks, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. We know that. And then, and then Paul goes on to say, what then shall we say in response? If God is for us, who can be against us? If he did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Graciously, full of grace. That's who God is. And if he gave up his son for us, then he has to love us more than we possibly understand. So no matter what's going on in your life, understand that God is going to make good come from it and understand that he loved you so much that he gave his son. And then Jesus, as he instituted this tradition that we're getting ready to partake of, of communion, it says in Luke's version, in the same way he took this after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant, the new chesed in my blood, which is poured out for you. Again, a covenant where Jesus walks through the two halves of the animals, where Jesus goes and dies on the cross, and it doesn't have anything to do with you. All you do is accept it. All you do is eat and drink. And the covenant is yours. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the new covenant. Um, the old covenant was still based on the law. The new covenant is completely based on you and your grace. God, thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son to die for us. And thank you for loving us so much that you would be our father and that you would correct us when we need it. And Lord, for those who are in this room right now who've maybe been away from you and feel like maybe you're laying on them a little heavy right now, will you help them to understand it's because you love them and help them to come back to you, help them to, to come back, to come to their senses as the prodigal did and turn around and come back and find that you're just there to hug them and to throw a party for them and love them. You're not mad. You just don't want them to get run over out in the street. And for those who have never come to you, Lord, this could be an opportunity for them to drink the cup of the new covenant, to drink this juice and to say, okay, Jesus, I'm accepting this. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I'm going to follow you. I want to be your disciple because I am an ugly dog on the inside and I know the only way I can get to heaven is through you the only way I can have the power to live my life on this earth is through you so I accept in Jesus name we pray